0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Years ago, I traveled with a group called Promise Keepers as one of their speakers, and the rooms and the places would be filled with hundreds, in some cases thousands, of guys but there's something special when you hear men, in their particular sound, sing together the song, change my heart, oh God. And the reason that really resonated so much with me is sometimes men are rough and tough and hard to diaper and they are set in their ways. But it's so neat to see men come to a point in their life when they look at their life and they say, you know, I, I need to make some changes. Things aren't going the way they should go, as, just as a man. And I know there's something better out there. And other guys that are saying, you know, I've, I've got a, a marriage right now and it's not as strong and as healthy and I need to man up and be the husband that I should be. So Lord, ch- ch- change me so I'd be a better husband. And then other guys were saying, I'm struggling with my kids. My son didn't come home last night. I don't know where he is. And here I'm at this meeting. So Lord, change my heart. I need to have a new heart so I could be a new dad, so I could have a new family. And the list goes on into the world of work, and in the world of government, and wherever you might be, but it comes from a changed heart. Now, you know, no preacher can change your heart, no matter how much I would scream or holler or how many jokes I tell or how many skits we put on, there's nothing I can do to bring about a change in your heart until you come to a point where maybe, humbly speaking, you've looked at the circumstances of life and you're saying, you know, doing the same old, same old things is getting the same old, same old results, and I don't like the same old, same old life. And it could be because just like that song, we might pray, Lord, change my heart, oh God. And I couldn't think of a better prayer or a better song to launch a new series of a beautiful letter that the Lord wanted us to listen to as it was written to a group of people in a church in a little tiny town then that was called Thessalonica. And I wanted to speak to you about that because you're going to learn in a few moments that it's very much like a town that we live in here and you're gonna see how very relative it is to the world you live in, the world I live in today. Now if you'll take out your little worship folder there, that might help you follow along as I go through this wonderful, wonderful truths of God's word and might help you a little bit. Now we're gonna be in the study of the book of Thessalonians for many weeks, and so I hope that you'd be with us so that you could say, I finally came to a church that actually taught me the Bible. And I want to learn a book of the Bible and we're gonna learn First Thessalonians. But I have three words in that worship folder and you're going to get a chance to circle which word would fit you. Will you be coming because you want to come and find that it's very interesting? Or do you think you'd like to come to church and find that it's going to be very informative? Or do you want to come because it'll be life-changing? Now circle the word you'd like it to be. Well, I hope I can make it interesting and I hope at the same time it'll be informative for you so that there's some substance there. But at the same time, I can't... Control the third, and that is life-changing. I could work on interesting and giving you good truth, but the life-changing part is something that you have to want inside your heart. And maybe not today. Maybe today you're coming to see if this is gonna be interesting enough for you to even be informed. But I promise you this, that I believe in a very active and sovereign God that'll be doing things in your life to cause you to question yourself. Do I need to make some changes? And more specifically, because he is coming for us. And so this is a really great study Now, if you want to make some changes, I'd like to offer you three places to begin. What what do I need to do if I want to make some changes? I want to be a, a person, a partner, a parent, a provider, wherever you might be. What changes do I want to make? Where do I start? Well, first of all, we have to begin with the right attitude. And what I mean by the right attitude, the right attitude about this book, the Bible, right here. Now, for some of you, you already have come to a point that you know the Bible is really God's mind on paper. I'd love to spend time with you just showing you how we know the Bible is the inspired Word of God. We have classes here for that. We have people here that are trained to show you that this Bible can be trusted, that it is God's mind on paper. But also something else about this Bible, it is also God's voice on paper. Besides just him thinking about us, he wants to speak to us and the most accurate way that he will speak to you in your life that is changing would be through the Word of God. So here's his voice for us. So... If you really want to know what's the right attitude, here it is. The bottom line is that God has something to say. Do you believe that? That God has something to say? But if he has something to say, then where do I begin with this? I need to understand some things. The first thing I need to understand is he has something to say to me. Now, obviously, he's going to speak to everyone because he wants everyone to grow and to become like him. But for the next few weeks, if you'll just say, maybe, God, you're going to speak to me. It's, it's right now about you and me, Lord. Yes, I'd like to have my mate. I'd like to have my kids. I'd like to have my mom and dad. I'd like to have my friends. I'd like to have our church, have all this. But right now, Lord, I'm coming so that I could be what you want me to be. So, Lord, I know you have something to say, and you have something to say to me. It's a book that's going to change my life. Now, let me ask you, when you pick up the Bible, do you pick up the Bible thinking that it's a good history book? Well, there is history in here, but it wasn't written to be a history book. Some of you might have picked up the Bible because it's a good moral book. It'll give you some good things to do and how to live a good life, maybe. And there are morality issues taught in here. But at the same time, it's not just a morality book. Some of you might pick up this book because it's a great novel. Some of you like it because there's some really great stories in here. Read in the New Testament, the book of Acts. It's just a a wonderful story of what happened, but real truth. And so again, you might pick it up as a novel. But if you pick it up for just those three reasons alone, it will not change your life. In fact, after a while, it'll become boring. In fact, some of you, if you don't come saying, Lord, speak to me this day. And by the way, he will answer that prayer when you come. That when you do come to church, the church might not be as interesting. And you might not learn like God wants you to learn. So you come with that attitude, Lord, really speak to me. Now, again, if you look at this passage, it's talking about three guys. Paul wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about Silas and Timothy. But he's also talking to a group of people that happened to be in a city, the city of Thessalonica. So if you look at the little map there let me kind of talk to you about that map and some things that are in that paragraph so you'll know a little bit about the city that this book was written to. Now this is the information part and then we're going to show how it's speaking to you and me. Back in those days this city was a city that had about a hundred thousand people. Well, how many people do you think live in Honolulu? Maybe 900,000. I don't know. The numbers keep changing, you know, as people move on and off the island, etc. But 100,000 people. But it was also a city that was very near, near a seaport. It was on a major highway that, of, of a Roman highway, which meant that there was great commerce that would go through that area so that there was great travel, easy to get around. It was the epicenter of that part of the world. Besides that, it was a healthy center. There were some hot springs there. You can look at that center, it was a cultural center, they had a lot going on and all different kinds of isms and spasms and belief systems were in that city. Now that's just a little bit about Thessalonica, but you know what, I could be describing Honolulu. Here we are, we're the epicenter of the Pacific. It's the trade where it goes through Honolulu right here for people going from the United States and South America all over Asia that they stop here as they retool and replenish to go on. We're a great commerce area here. We're the closest part of the greatest part of the Pacific Rim. We're a health center. Read some of the health magazines and they talk about the healthiest city in the United States to live and Honolulu is right up at the top of it. And we too have a whole bunch of isms and spasms and belief systems that are here on our island everywhere we go. Just like Thessalonica, if you have so much of a hustle and bustle of humanity, you've got humanity that's changing. And you come to Honolulu, it's changing too. I'd like to ask the question to some of you that have most recently come back to Honolulu after not being here for maybe a decade. Haven't you seen this island change and not just our big buildings? It's going to be the life of our people as well. And so you and I are living in a present-day Thessalonica. So what he writes to these people in Thessalonians, he could be very well writing to us today. So it's that city. What a wonderful city but yet a city that is in need of the gospel. And so we can listen to this as he speaks to us. So it's a city. But it's not just a city that he's speaking to. If you look at the passage here, it talks also about being in Thessalonica, but also being in God. Now, I like to think in terms of being in Thessalonica, but also being in God. Now, how many of you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven because you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Now, here's what that means to those people that know that for sure. That means that you are now in Christ, but you also are in Honolulu. For a moment here, let me use this little bulletin. This bulletin is going to represent you and me. Now, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we place our faith, my Bible representing Christ, we place our faith in Christ. Now, when we do, we are now in Christ. So those of you that know Christ, we are now in Christ. But I'm not just in Christ, I'm also in this city here called Honolulu. Now those of you that like to go snorkeling and maybe scuba diving, for Christians, this is going to help you. When I go snorkeling and I kind of lay over the water there, and we live near Hanama Bay, beautiful Hanama Bay, and while we're looking at the little fish and all the things under the water, I can't breathe the water, I have to breathe the air. So I'm in the water, but I'm also in my environment as a human that I need air. Those of you that go scuba diving, in order for you to stay down long and travel long underwater, you need to take another system with you, an oxygen system, because you can't exist in the water. For Christians, the same way. There are some Christians that think they can just live in their environment, in the culture, and it's okay to live just like the culture. But pretty soon, you will shrivel up and die in your relationship with the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but you will lose Your intimacy with God, which is what it's all about. And that's why we draw all of our strength from being in Christ and in the world. Well, again, if we are going to be in Christ and in Honolulu or Thessalonica, what was Thessalonica like with the people that were there? There are basically four groups of people there, and you see them kind of checked off in your notes. The first one would be barbarians. Now, barbarians, and the only part I'd like you to remember about them, there's a lot I could say, but this is the important part. Barbarian people, although they were so vicious people, they had tremendous amount of superstitions and belief system in the area of the occult and all that other stuff that would drive them. Those of you that have studied missiology, you know as you go into some of these distant lands and into the jungles, you're going to find barbaric and vicious type people there. But often driving all of that is this unseen world of the occult and Satan and all of that. And that would be brought in. No different here. We might not have barbarians on Oahu, but we have people that are very suspicious and they do all sorts of stuff with the horoscope and tea leaves and everything else. And you know that. You might even have some people in your family that believe in this unseen world out there and they're so fearful of it. And then you have another group of people that are basically called the Greeks. Now the Greeks were people in those days that were involved in all the intellectual things and the things of philosophy. They had to know so much. Maybe you know people today that they're ever seeking after more knowledge and they have to keep going to school, but they never really understand the Bible and who God is. And so we have people like that, very, very much like them as well. And then you have the Romans. When the Romans were in Thessalonica, it was all about control and power. They're strong people and they wanted to be the big politicos. Do you know people like that where you live as well? Maybe your neighbor, maybe it's even your boss who leads you with a heavy hand, a power, power broker in your life, very much like the Romans. And then the Jews, how would they fit into all of this? Well, the Jews were, uh, we'll just call it for today, a religion. They had a belief system. The Jews did not believe Jesus Christ was the Savior and God, but they had a belief system in God. How many of you know people that are religious here on our island and they will name Christ, they'll name God? But they haven't placed their faith alone in Christ and receive Him as their personal Savior. So they're the religious but lost people. So again, Thessalonica is very much like the community in which we live. And so just like that, we're the same way. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some times that I will order something online with my computer. Have you ever done that? How many of you have ever ordered something online? Would you raise your hand? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. When you do that, sometimes i will ask you what city you're in. Have you ever noticed that? And some of you have the computer that when you hit HO, immediately it'll put Honolulu in there. How many you have a computer like that does it for you? All right. The next time it does that, I'd like maybe for you and me to train our minds to think in terms of, oop, H-O, Honolulu, but now I have to think in terms of, yes, I live in Honolulu, but I'm also in Christ, and I want to receive from the Lord all that I possibly can learn. So, he's uh, speaking, but he's also speaking to me, and that's a very important part of my walk with the Lord, that I want to listen to what he has to say. But I also need to understand why God has something to say to me. Now, why? If he's going to say something to me, why in the world would God want to talk to me in his word now to cause me to change? Well, let's go back again to the Bible days. Again, that's why you're here to learn a little bit about the Bible and then again how to apply it to our life today. Here's Paul now. He's in another city. He left the city of Thessalonica. Why did he leave the city of Thessalonica? They were hot on his trail. They didn't believe he was who he claimed to be. They didn't like what he had to preach and what he had to say. Paul was standing that Jesus Christ was the Savior, the only way to get to heaven, and that the only way to live our life is to be found in God. He was teaching all of that, and they didn't like it. They were after him everywhere he went, so he was fleeing. But he also remembered that the brief time he was in Thessalonica, he was able then to lead people to Christ, help them get a little grounded as baby Christians, and begin to put together a new church in that area. Well, now he's gone from that area. And so what's happening at this point is he's concerned about them. He has a shepherd's heart. He really wants to know, how are they doing? They know that I had to flee. That must mean that they were afflicted too. And did they go back? Did they now stop maybe wanting to walk and follow God? What struggles were they having in their life? And so he was so glad to hear how they were doing when he got a report back. So why am I saying that? Maybe some of you today, the Lord is going to speak to you because you've gone through some affliction in your life. And this is going to be how that you can rise above the changes that you have. Maybe some of you right now are a new Christian, and you might be now questioning, should I really go on for the Lord, or maybe I could do a little bit of the world, a little bit of Christianity, and you're really stumbling and falling a little bit, but you want to go on. This book is a wonderful book. It's a simple book. It's a profound book. It has truths that will help you in your Christian life today. It also will give you truths to know what to look forward to the Lord's coming again in the future. If there was one book in the Bible that you would want to begin with, this might be the very book for you to learn. So he wrote it because he loves you. That song that we sung this morning about the heart of God's love will change our heart because of his love. And I pray that we might lean into this book. And that's why he wrote to us to help us in our change of life as well. But we also need to know what he has to say to us. What what is God really saying? There's some very practical things in here. Well, there's a famous Bible teacher by the name of John Stott, and there's many outlines on 1 Thessalonians, but this one I particularly like, so I'm going to share it with you, and it's in your notes as well. For those of you that would like to fly over the book of Thessalonians, and you want to say, okay, what are some of the high points that I'm going to see as I look out my window, flying over 1 Thessalonians, what would it be? I thought it was so cool, I wanted to share this with you. Here's why. It's because it follows the purpose statement of our church. It's what we stand for as a church, right here in this passage. So let's look at it, if you will. It talks about Christian evangelism in the first chapter. How wonderful that is. It's going to talk about reaching others for Christ. That fits our mission, which is what? To evangelize the world, locally and globally, and that's what these people did and how faithful they were at it. And then it talks about the ministry in the next chapter. I like that part about it too because we're going to learn how to be equipped for ministry. Those of you that are saying, you know, I'm a little bit further along than just being a young Christian. I'm ready to know how can I make a difference with those who want to make a difference. How can I influence others? Very simple. Stay with us because we're going to teach you how that you can make a difference with those who want to make a difference in ministry as we learn how Paul did it. He's our model in this. And then we're going to learn about Christian behavior and we're going to learn about doctrine and truth, especially about the Lord's coming. Now, that's interesting because that talks about edifying to maturity because the only way we're going to grow to become more like Christ is if we know the book accurately, who he is and what he stands for and the fact that he's coming again. So you're going to get into some deeper truths in this book and you'll understand it. And then finally, you're going to hear about Christian maturity. And we would call it here encouraging participation with one another, how to love on each other and how to really be there for one another. This morning I got all the mail that was delivered up into my office, and I saw a little envelope in there, and I opened it up, and that little envelope was one of our surveys that we send out to our first-time guests. And we asked three or four questions. And the first question they'd asked is, "What did you think of our church before the service?" And you know what they said? They said, "When I came here, it was my first time all the people welcomed me genuinely. I felt so loved in this church." That's because there's community that's operating here. So I say to you that our guests, it is not about us four no more shut the door. We're here and we welcome you. Whether you are one that's still superstitious and you want to learn about that and what God has to say or wherever you are in this whole list of kinds of people because you're now coming here today because you want to make a change. And one more thought that's very important. You made a change today even to come here. And I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Because this hour or so, you put yourself underneath God's word and the love of God's people. And you made a change. You could have done something else that you probably regularly do on this morning, but you changed and you came here today. So you've already taken your first step moving forward for God. And I affirm you for that. I love you for that. And I want to go on the journey with you as I watch what God does in your life. From the inside out. So God has something to say. And this is what he's going to teach us. A lot of things about all different areas of our walk with the Lord. But we also need to know how God will speak to us. There's a tone in this particular letter. Now another question. I like raising your hand. Seeing who are out, who's out there. But here's my question. How many of you have read other books in the Bible. Other than 1 Thessalonians. Would you raise your hand. Now when you read those books. Have you noticed that some of the different other books. They have a different tone to them. For example, when you read the book of Romans, it sounds very procedural, very legalistic in the sense that it's a legal proceeding type one. It really wants to lay down the facts for you about the Old Testament, the Jews and where they are today and moving forward. How many of you read the book of Proverbs? It sounds like you're sitting down with an older man who's really been around the block and he gives you some wise counsel. So the tone of it is wisdom. And then how many of you read the book of Galatians and it sounds like the writer which is Paul is angry And he is a little bit because the people he taught were now slipping away from the sound truth and he wanted to bring them back again. So what's the tone of 1 Thessalonians? I love it. The tone of 1 Thessalonians is, I love you. I pray for you. You encourage me because I hear that what you've done in the short time I was with you has not only changed your life, but other people are talking about you. And so it's a tone of affirmation and love, but also, he says... I've got some things I want you to learn about good living, how to have a righteous life, how to be moral, how to have a life that would be pleasing to the Lord. So it's a book that really talks about change. So what's the first thing you need to do? Well, we need to begin with the right attitude about this book, that it's God's mind on paper, and the weeks that we have before us, God wants to speak to us about change. Well, what's the second one? The second one, he wants us, besides just to begin with the right attitude, he wants us then to live in the right climate. Now, there are people that are moving here to Honolulu because they love the climate. Who can't love the climate? We were driving around the island with our guests yesterday, and part of the island, it was real sunny, The other part of the island, it was rainy over there, but on the rainy side, everything was green. I was joking with them. I told them, "You know what? things are so easy to grow on this island that you could take a pencil and stick it in the dirt and a pencil would grow. You know That's our island, it's the climate. But you know, as for Christians, we too have to have the right climate in which to grow. And I believe that God in his sovereignty spoke to the Apostle Paul and had him write a spirit that Paul had for the Thessalonians in a way to let them know what was the climate that caused those Thessalonians to grow and would cause them to grow to their next level. It's found in three words. Here they are. Grace and peace to you. And then later on he said, we always thank God for you. So grace, peace, and thanksgiving. If you create a climate about you that you're a person of grace, you're a person that has peace around you, you're a person that's humble and grateful, you're gonna be a magnet for others so that when you do speak a truth about God's Word to them they're more willing to listen to you. That's why it says the law came by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus. Grace always came before truth with Jesus. Grace and peace. I think this is cool too because he was using two words Grace and peace. He knew his audience. He knew that he had his audience full of Greeks that were there. They would speak a different language. So he would greet them by saying grace, which is another word to say giftedness. I love you or I I like you and and, and I say hello to you. It's a grace word. Then to the Jews that were present, that didn't mean as much to them. They were concerned because they lived a life of a tremendous amount of confusion and frustration and, and enemies against them. So he spoke to them and he said, peace to them. So he greeted them with the environment of saying grace to you and peace to you. And what do you think we do when we greet someone? What do we say, everyone? Aloha, don't we? And it's a form of saying grace and peace and I love you. And it means so much. Aloha to you. I want to give myself to you. I want to receive from you. I want us to bond and be connected. I want you to have everything I have so I can add value to your life. You mean something to me in some measure. Aloha to you. It's the most endearing term. But then there's that dynamic of thanksgiving. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to speak to a moment to those of you that have been wanting your family to grow or your husband to grow or someone else to grow and so you think that the climate for them to grow in is the climate of guilt And you try to put them on guilt all the time. You know what guilt does? It strangles them. It hinders grace from happening. Then some of you, you think that maybe you'll do it by giving them fear. You scare them to death. That if something goes wrong, you think the hammer of God's going to come down on them. And you think that's going to help disciple them. That doesn't help. It's grace. It's not guilt. It's peace. And it's not fear. And then there's some that they think that I don't need anybody else, I can grow by myself. I say that's the opposite of thankfulness. Because when I say thank you to someone genuinely, sincerely, not the words, I'm saying I couldn't have done it without you. I needed you. It's for you that this has happened to me. You are more than me at this point on this issue. And so right now it's not individualism. You mean something to me. I needed you and I'm saying thank you. There's that, that attitude. Now, when you have grace, peace, thanksgiving to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your friends, that's the climate that's going to help them to grow. So, do you have the right attitude? The growth climate is going to be grace, peace, and thanksgiving. That'll be tremendously helpful.